Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good to have you along for the ride today. We have a great hour lined up for you, uh, followed by the National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up at the end of the uh, the full 90-minute version of The Bottom Line Show here today. If you are listening in a market that does not carry uh, NCR, right after The Bottom Line Show, you can always find it at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tune in, Spotify, wherever we are. And you can always catch the video version. This is really fun. The video version is available at myhopenow.com. And part of the uh, entertaining part of the video uh, version of it, at least for me, is to find out which one of our cameras isn't going to work. <laughs> I, we were all buzzing in. We used the uh, Clean Feed app to all hook up to the studio. We're in different parts of the country, and Bob is uh, Bob Duco, WMUC in Detroit, is ground zero. And so um, everybody has to kind of play nice with Bob's computer, and if it doesn't always work out, like last week, uh, Neil Boron's computer didn't let him in until about 15 minutes left in the program. So uh, that's part of the entertaining value of the National Crawford Roundtable, not to mention the fact that we talk about issues from a biblical worldview, and uh, hopefully you enjoy that. You know, it's not every day. This hour we want to look about biblical inerrancy. Uh, take a look, you know, with Christmas is coming up and a lot of people are going to be telling the Christmas story and they're probably going to be telling it wrong in some part simply because of a traditional thing, you know, like angels that we've heard on high and we'll take a bunch of three and four-year-old little girls from the preschool and dress them up like angels and say, aren't you cute? You're such an angel and not realizing, or anybody, boys too. And then not realizing, of course, that angels are mighty warriors and they're not precious moments figurines. I mean, that, that, that type of stuff is going to happen. Um, Interestingly enough, though, there are some publications that are now trying to do their best to level the playing field with regard to what is biblically correct and what is biblically incorrect. And it's interesting because the State of Theology survey that is conducted by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research uh, was released last week, and it shows some things that are somewhat disturbing. And you know, this is I'm going to say this with all love and respect. If Christianity Today, which was started by Billy Graham that has become more of a center-left, progressive, almost woke version of Christianity, if Christianity Today is talking about some of these truths and they make sense, then you know the church in America anyway is literally losing its bearings. Okay, now this is not a things are really bad. This for us, I think these are three major take, or excuse me, five major takeaways from this year's State of Theology survey that I think um, we can all kind of put ourselves in here and ask ourselves the question. So rather than disparaging the people who might have gotten these answers incorrect, why don't we take a look at these questions on our own and then I'll, after I go through what the questions are, think about it and then I'll tell you what the results of the survey are in terms of which percentage of the audience actually got these questions right, okay? so first question, um, well, before we get any further in the study, I mentioned this is uh, the state of theology. It's not the state of the Bible or the state of Christianity per se, but the study of, you know, God. And Ligonier Ministries puts it together. It's interesting because <laughs> well, one of the things R.C. Sproul used to teach, he said uh, the idea was that everyone's a theologian, but not everyone's a good theologian. So um, <laughs> that was the way he used to look at the American church. Overall, the study, the State of Theology study, indicated that uh, Christians in the United States are moving away from orthodox understandings of God and his word. Um, 
for example, there are five findings that we're going to find here, but one of the overarching themes that was just kind of really remarkable, but it's, it's not even a question anymore of how many people are going to disagree with this statement or, or, or agree with it, as the case may be. The question is, how big is the drop going to be? Okay. Um, last year, it, well, let's say in 2020, the number of Americans who said that the Bible is not literally true it was 15%. Okay. That's good news. I mean, excuse me, the number of evangelicals. That's good news. I mean, you consider that the number should be zero. I mean, the people, it's not literally true. Um, the, the fact that now a quarter of evangelicals, it's up to 26%, say the Bible is not literally true. One out of every four people who are part of an evangelical congregation do not believe that the Bible is literally true. Now, when it comes to personal religion, and this is something George Barna has shared with us and other researchers as well, one of the biggest shocks to the system in the United States is the number of people on the whole in American society who no longer believe that the Bible is a good objective uh, uh, guideline for morality. But when it comes to the church, what do evangelicals say? Do they consider religious belief to be a matter of personal opinion or a matter of objective truth? Well, the number of people who say it's not about objective truth, who say that it's a matter of personal opinion, in 2020, 23% of American evangelicals said that, but by 2022, it was 38%. So right now, look at where we start this st the state of theology in America the Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research Study that says that the number of evangelicals who believe the Bible is not literally true is 26%. And the number of people who believe that a religious belief is a matter of personal opinion rather than objective truth is 38%. So if you're part of an evangelical or non-denominational congregation, this weekend when you go to church, take a look around in the sanctuary. Let's say there's 100 people worshiping please know that 26 of those 100 people, statistically, do not believe the Bible is literally true, and 38% believe that the reason they're a Christian is because that's how they feel about it, rather than that what, that's what God's Word says about it. Okay, here are the five major misconceptions from the State of Theology address from Ligonier Ministries. Number one, Jesus is not the only way to God. Do you know that 56% of American evangelicals say that God accepts worship of all religions, including Christianity. Do you know that in 2020, that number was 42%? Isn't that mind-boggling? To think how few people in the evangelical church today actually understand the true nature of God. I mean, mind-boggling to think that that is the case. Okay, that's the first heresy. Let's take a look at heresy number two. So 56% of evangelicals believe that it is possible, I mean, for more than one way to God. Number two, that Jesus was created by God. The statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, it's a form of Arianism. Remember, if you if you'd use the Nicene Creed, Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father, begotten and not made. In other words, Jesus is an exact replica of God. He is God in the same way that God is God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all God, and they existed from the beginning of time. 73% of American evangelicals believe that Jesus was the first and greatest creation of God. Now, is Jesus God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is three and God is one. That's what we taught our kids in preschool. But 43% of American evangelicals, probably many of whom who believe that God created Jesus, say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. These are evangelicals, by the way, people who profess faith in Christ, who say that God the Father is God, but Jesus is his son, but he's not God. Toward that end, how about the Holy Spirit? Well, you know we're going to get some crazy answers with regard to the Holy Spirit. 60% of American evangelicals believe in the following statement, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Take a look at Acts chapter 5 and then see how you answer that question. And then finally, this one, I'm surprised that it was only 57%. Humans aren't sinful by nature. 57% of American evangelicals agreed with the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Romans 5, Psalm 51, you get the idea. No one is good by nature. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen and amen. That's the whole reason we need Jesus as our Savior. Not because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. If a guy came around telling you, I love you, I love you, you need to follow me, I have a wonderful plan for my life, and you didn't think you had any reason to fall in love with him, why would you? We call that person a stalker for crying out loud. But anyway, that's the result of the new study from uh, Ligonier Ministries and LifewayResearch.com, The State of Theology in America. Oh, my, my. <laughs> We've got a link for that up at thebottomlineshow.com. Put yourself to that quiz. Maybe ask your friends those questions as well, and then see how you score. Hey, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's get into some real theology, shall we? Some biblical theology. Here we are in the uh, uh, the Lenten season, excuse me, the Lenten, the Advent season. I got my Lenten Advent mixed up today. Advent season, of course, starts in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be hearing a lot from the Old Testament about Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But do you know that more than just proclaiming the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah actually preached the gospel? Dr. Jonathan Gibson has written a fascinating new study on this. It's called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. It's part of this uh, uh, Bible series that we've been uh, actually walking through for the past year, the Gospel-Centered Life in the Bible series. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We actually even have a couple of copies of this book to give away. So if you're making last-minute preparations for Advent and want to take your congregation or maybe your family through this, I highly recommend this book. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Gibson is a noted theologian, a noted scholar, an ordained minister in the International Presbyterian Church in the UK, and uh, has an earned doctorate where he uses it to teach Old Testament at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Dr. Gibson's going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about Isaiah, or as he will say, and perhaps more properly, Isaiah. Uh, good news for the wayward and wandering. It's a breath of fresh air from the Old Testament about what we celebrate for New Testament Christians all around the world, especially during Advent and at Christmas time. Let's take a quick break and come back with that conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. 
When you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Cover puts her client's total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Cover used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well-positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that often does kind of spring up around this time of year. Uh, the words of Isaiah talking about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and it winds up in your Advent presentations and your Christmas Eve services. But is there more to the gospel narrative in the book of Isaiah than perhaps we might first have realized? Joining me today here on the program is Dr. Jonathan Gibson, an ordained minister in the International Presbyterian Church UK, currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He's the author of a brand new book that I highly commend to you and your congregation, especially as we are leading up to these weeks before Advent and then getting into the Christmas season. The book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Roger. Well, appreciate your time and expertise, especially with when you consider the fact that oftentimes we will take, you know, maybe Isaiah 9, 6 or you know, something like that, drop it into a Christmas pageant, and that's about as far as our study goes. But there's so much more to the gospel narrative in the book of Isaiah than just the prophecy of the uh, coming Christ. Talk to us about why it's so important for us to, to understand that the central message of the gospel is also very central to the message in the book of Isaiah. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we know verses like Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And uh, chapter 9, verse 6, the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called the Prince of Peace. And we know those texts. We associate them with Christmas. Uh, but we don't really know the rest of the book of Isaiah. And at one level, that's understandable. It's 66 chapters long. Um, it's uh, got a lot of interesting things in it, some deep and profound things, and also some things that are just hard to understand in relation to Assyria, in relation to Babylon. And so we can tend to think that it only has little verses or chapters here and there that are uh, connected to the actual gospel message, and the rest is really for Old Testament Israel and not relevant for us today. But I think the whole book of Isaiah is about the gospel. I think you could summarize the book by saying that Isaiah is about how God saves his people through judgment for the transformation of the world. The gospel is in the whole of Isaiah. Uh, it was Martin Luther, the German reformer, who said that Isaiah is really the Romans of the Old Testament. Uh, because he loved Romans so much, he had recovered the true gospel as he studied the book of Romans. It's Paul's most expansive explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. And Isaiah is a bit like that as well. <clears throat> of all the books in the Old Testament, it's probably the one that is the deepest and most expansive about God's good news of salvation through judgment for the transformation of the world uh, in the Old Testament. 
So I don't think it should be a book that we avoid just because of its size, uh, but one that we do try and read and uh, see the good news of uh, God's salvation in the Old Testament. Right, and more than just reading a few, a few verses in the first 40 chapters, and then the good part, starting with Isaiah chapter 40, and I say that good part in quotes. Uh, let's talk about that. You mentioned the, uh, the the justice aspect of it. I mean, there are a lot of people in the culture right now who are crying out for justice. I mean, it's, it's the heart's cry of so many people, both in the church and outside of the church as well. Um, one of the lessons you include in this book is about how we are redeemed by justice. And that's kind of a shock to the system for us in the body of Christ who say, wait, we, we're saved by grace through faith. You know, God so loved the world. Where, where does the justice component come in? Help us understand, Dr. Jonathan Gibson, how Isaiah helps us understand the justice component in our redemption story. Uh, yeah, so one of the themes in Isaiah is that the servant of the Lord <clears throat> will establish and execute justice and righteousness in the earth. And the reason that theme arises is because Israel as a nation was supposed to do that uh, for the world as as an example to the world. If you remember back in Exodus, Israel was to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests and um, a treasured possession to God. Uh, Israel was to win the world by being different from the world. And one of the ways they were to be different from the world is they were to love righteousness and do justice, uh, walk humbly before their God. And one of the things that Isaiah picks up on in chapter one of the book early on is that Israel or Judah, as it was, it was the southern kingdom. Uh, Judah has an uh, an external form of religiosity, of righteousness, of doing all the things that God commands. But Isaiah says, but you actually neglect the finer points of the law uh, of doing justice for the poor, for the widow, for the fatherless, the orphan. And uh, he just picks up on this, that religion or the religious life with God in the Old Testament, it's not just about the Sabbath, it's not just about the ceremonies at the temple, it's about how we live throughout the whole week. And so Isaiah starts to critique the nation in that regard and expose their lack of justice in the society and their lack of engagement with some of the social justice issues. Now, social justice today, I think, needs carefully defined. It can be defined a whole lot of different ways. And it's important that as Christians, we don't get sucked into the way the world defines social justice. But the Bible has always been clear that God's people ought to be people concerned with justice Mm -hmm. in society. The good news in Isaiah is that while Israel, the nation, has failed to execute justice on the earth, God sends a new Isaiah, the suffering servant, this uh, embodiment of Isaiah, this person who will personify and embody Isaiah. And God sends them to establish and execute justice on the earth. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus who comes as the servant of Isaiah. And we see that in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us how to love one another. The first commandment is to love God with heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's really where I think the issue of social justice should be located in the second commandment. And Jesus's point is, uh, you haven't been able to keep these commandments. I've come to keep them on your behalf, to die, receive the curse for your breaking of the commandments. But if you believe in me and you are united to me by faith, this is the way you live as a child of God, as a as a brother of Christ in the family. Uh, we love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we, it's important to understand the justice issue through the lens of the gospel. 
mm-hmm. and how Christ speaks of uh, justice in the New Testament. Dr. Jonathan Gibson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, author of the brand new book called Isaiah, A Good News for the Wayward and the Wandering. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, though I have a feeling, Dr. Gibson, at the time, uh, by the time our half hour is over, I'll be saying Isaiah properly, too. And I appreciate your... <laughs> it's yeah, great. When... You, you picked up on my Irish accent. Yes, yes, certainly did. Well, what was it George Bernard Shaw said that the, the U.S. and the U.K. were two people separated by a common language. So I realize you've got a That's little right. bit of a, yeah, that commonality. Hey, let, let's, tur- yeah. let's turn to another issue uh, when we talk about you know the, the gospel message and what it means for us as Christians to fully understand who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ. Uh, you have a lesson in this book about the way of holiness. And I'd love for you to talk about how Isaiah is where we began to see the holiness of God, the, that holiness manifest, and how that present help literally comes uh, you know, in the future hope. Yeah, so um, Isaiah chapter 6 is really the classic passage in Isaiah of God's holiness when Isaiah has the vision of God in the temple. And he sees a seraphim in the temple uh, singing to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so the book begins with God, the Holy One. In fact, that's the title of God in the most common title of God in the book of Isaiah, the Holy One. That's how Isaiah dresses God and speaks about him. And that's the God that Isaiah sees himself in the temple when King Uzziah dies. He says, I saw the Lord high and seated upon a throne. And what that does for Isaiah, having had the wow experience of seeing God in all his glory in the temple, uh, is it turns to a woe response. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a sinful man, and I live among a sinful people. So even Isaiah the prophet, who would have been a man known for his holiness, set apart among the people to keep the people in check, with words and visions from God, even he himself sees that he's not fit even to hold office. And so that's where I think we need to begin when we think about uh, holiness, even for ourselves. We need to begin with the Holy One, God himself, uh, the thrice Holy God. It's interesting that in the Bible, God is never called love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. Uh, He's only ever called holy, holy, holy. Interesting. And uh, I think it is the crowning attribute of all the attributes. And really what it means is God's distinctness, his otherness. It's really a statement about God being God, his godness. And um, there's obviously a moral purity there to God, but it's more than that. It's the creatures in heaven are singing holy, 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 because they realize that God is completely and utterly different from them and other than them, set apart from them. And I think we need to begin there if we're going to think about our own holiness. We are relating to a God who himself is so holy uh, that we're not even able to be in his presence without feeling undone in our own sin. But then the good news of Isaiah is that God himself provides a way of atonement for us to become holy You have it in Isaiah chapter 6, where the seraphim take a coal from the altar, uh, where there would have been an altar in the temple, and takes a coal and touches Isaiah's lips. It was an altar of atonement, of sacrifice, and there's a burning coal taken and put on Isaiah's lips to cleanse the sinfulness of his lips. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, 
-hmm. But it's interesting that it's God himself in his holiness who is providing the sacrifice and the atonement for Isaiah to be cleansed. We tend to think of holiness connected only to God's righteousness and his judgment for sin. But God's holiness is also connected to his grace because holiness means otherness, distinctness. What the Bible is communicating and what Isaiah communicates is that God is totally different from us. Um, We condemn people who are sinners. God forgives them. He's different. He's distinct and other. And so God provides the the atoning sacrifice. And that obviously comes to fulfillment through the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, a passage we're so familiar with, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Through his chastisements, we have peace with God and we're justified in his presence. And that's the beginning of our holiness journey, that when we are people who put our trust in the suffering servant of Isaiah, God sanctifies us. He sets us apart as holy and then calls us to be his holy people. Uh, in the world. And so the way of holiness in Isaiah is first understanding who God is as the Holy One, understanding who we are as the sinful ones, and then accepting the sacrifice that God has provided to cleanse us of our unholiness, and then to live as a holy people in his world. So that's really what I'm, uh, what I, you know, what I touch on in the book in regards to holiness. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful passage, and it's a it's a powerful reminder, and, and one that might even be a, a first exposure to a lot of people who've been coming to church for a while and maybe hearing what they thought was the gospel and not realizing that holiness component was so critical. Dr. Jonathan Gibson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering, an outstanding study guide, especially if you're looking for a Bible study to take you through the Advent season and get you all the way up. It's longer than four weeks, by the way. So uh, but you'll want to check it out at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. I get this comment a couple times a week. You know, should I stay in the market or should I get out? If you like the results of the last two years, stay in. If not, then we've got some great solutions to help you stop the bleeding, put the stitches in, and then go from there. I personally think that the current administration is going to continue the roller coaster of the market, and it's going to be especially hard for those who are living on a fixed income or nearing retirement. It's leading us down the road to where the huge majority of people who are studying what's going on think that a recession is almost here. And so with this administration we have, I would recommend you get away and stay away. Protect your resources in retirement with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Isaiah, or Isaiah, he would say. Good news for the wayward and wandering. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as a matter of fact, let me check my... uh, Stuff here. We have two copies of this book to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You want this book, especially if you are... This is a way better thing to do during Advent season than maybe the Advent candle things or whatever. I mean, you can do them both. Use it in your family devotions. Use it with your grandkids. If you're a pastor or maybe you want to bless your pastor with a resource, this is a great book to give away, and we have two copies. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break and come back with more of my conversation with Dr. Jonathan Gibson in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Gibson is ordained in the International Presbyterian Church UK, currently serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, how close is Philly to uh, Dublin, Dr. Gibson, in terms of culturally and what was it a bit of a culture shock for you to find yourself on the shores of the States here? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of similarities, but also differences as well. I'm from Belfast in the north okay. of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And, um, you know, there's similarities. You know, you've got a quite a strong Irish influence here on the east coast of America. So in many ways, I've, I've uh, felt at home here. It's been not too bad at all. That's good. You're, you're very, Americans are very friendly. So, yeah. Uh, felt at home. <laughs> Well, very friendly, unless you're not a Phillies fan during the playoffs, but that's for a whole conversation. Another conversation, <laughs> right, I yeah. guess, because they're, they're playing well. Hey, let's let's talk about where the new book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, I'm, I'm going to go musical on you here for just a moment because my father is a choir director and a music educator. And so mm-hmm. whenever I think of Isaiah, I, I, I always start to jump to Isaiah chapter 40, and I hear the first verse being sung by a tenor in Handel's Messiah. And you yeah. address this in one of the lessons. I, I won't embarrass me or you by trying to sing it, but uh, what what is it about that line? That's kind of the turning point, isn't it, in Isaiah, where we've had all sorts of judgment and that kind of the wrath of God for the first 39 books. And then by the time we get to 40, things are starting to turn around and we're starting to see some of the good news. And the first thing we hear from Isaiah from God is comfort ye my people. Well, talk about why that's important for us to understand. Yeah, again, those are probably some of the most well-known verses in Isaiah, and particularly with Handel's Messiah, comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord, says your God. Um, I think you're right. The first 39 chapters, speaking broadly, are really about God's judgment on Israel and Judah uh, for their sins and how they're going to go into exile because of their sins. And then the second half, chapters 40 to 66, is really about God's salvation, how he himself is going to come and save his people. And chapter 40 begins by telling them that God has, um, it's a prophecy looking forward to the future, saying that God has uh, paid for all of their sins, uh, that Israel has received from the Lord's hand double uh, of her sins, uh, double for all her sins. And what he's talking about there is the exile when God would send his people into exile for a limited time, 70 years, he would then come and bring them back. And in chapter 40, he starts to talk about the return to the land, that God, because he loves them and because he's holy, he had to judge them for their sin. But it was for a time, you know, God does not afflict from the heart. After he is afflicted for a time, he shows uh, compassion according to his steadfast love, as Lamentations chapter 3 explains. And it's the same in Isaiah. He's, he's angry for a time, and then he comes in love to Israel and Judah, offering them forgiveness. And chapter 40 is about how he himself is going to come. There's the talk of the voice in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, get up onto the house tops and shout that, that God is coming and God reigns. And then there's that beautiful part in uh, chapter 12, chapter 11, where he speaks of God, Isaiah, as a shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Also part of Handel's Messiah in that song. 
And it's a beautiful picture of God coming to be our shepherd, coming for wayward and wandering sheep who have strayed from the path, coming to forgive them. But the surprise this time is not that Israel are going to go back into exile in order for that to happen. No, rather the exile itself was a shadow, a signpost of another exile to come, that the servant, the true Israel, would suffer in their place. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus. Uh, that when he hung on the cross, uh, he received the wrath of God. He went into judgment uh, under God's judgment. He went into exile under God's judgment. And because he went into exile, we can return to God's paradise home in heaven, which the promised land was a symbol of. And so that is the turning point in Isaiah. Comfort, comfort you, my people, says your God, because he has provided a way of atonement. Uh, and he's done that through his son, the Lord Jesus. And that's the whole pivot point, isn't it? Not I mean, Dr. Jonathan Gibson. I mean, the idea that when yeah. we talk about the prophet, the prophetic part of Isaiah, but really this is more than just saying it's going to happen 700 years from now. It, th- this is the proclamation that it's happening right now in Isaiah's time that God is, is spelling this out. We've got a couple minutes left in our time together. And you used a, a phrase that I hadn't heard about Isaiah in, in quite some time when we were talking during the break. T- talk about what uh, how Isaiah ends with a... a reverse the curse moment, if you will. Yeah. So um, if you remember uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan dies on the stone table and uh, the children are sad that he's died. uh, But then he comes back to life and uh, he explains to them why that was. And it was because there was an oracle written before time that um, uh, when the stone table breaks in half, through the death of Aslan, that basically death and sin and the curse would all be put in reverse, that there's a greater magic, is what he explains, than the, the, the evil magic of the White Witch. He said there's a greater magic at work that's undoing all the work of the White Witch. And that's really what happens at the end of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah's all about sin and judgment to begin with, and the curse that has come on the creation and on the nation of Israel, but also on the whole of the created order. But by the end of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, there's the theme of a new creation, that God is going to reverse the curse and bring about eternal life in a new heavens and a new earth. And there's some really lovely passages in Isaiah 65 and 63 that speak about this, uh, speaking about how children will no longer die in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, I think the death of a child something that I've experienced myself uh, is one of the most traumatic uh, consequences of the fall of Adam. The death is this tyrant that comes into our families uninvited and takes our loved ones from us. But Isaiah ends with telling us that that curse of death will one day actually be cursed itself. It'll be put out of the new heavens and the new earth and death will be no more. And so Isaiah 65 and 66 ends on a positive note. It ends on the blessing of a transformed world that has come about through God's saving works in his suffering servant. And uh, that's the good news. It's a bit like the end of the book of Revelation, Mm -hmm. where, behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the old earth and the old heavens had passed away. And there was no more Mm -hmm. death or sighing or sorrow for all of that had passed away. And that's how the book of Isaiah ends, with that really hopeful, triumphant note. 
and uh, certainly is one that we can ponder and uh, and celebrate in spite of the uh, tragedies that we experience in this life. And uh, our, our heart goes out to you, Dr. Gibson, for the, the loss that you have experienced. But we, we know that there is hope and one day ultimately death will be experiencing that type of loss as well. And it's completely defeated and, and we take hope and comfort in knowing that that is in fact the case. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, uh, currently serving as Associate Professor of Old Testament uh, Theology at Western Theological Seminary, and the author of a brand new book that I can't recommend enough to you, especially during the Christmas and Advent season. The book is called Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and the Wandering. We have a link to that book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and and, uh, even if you pronounce it Isaiah the proper way, as Dr. Gibson does, uh, then we'll know what we're talking. You're talking about when you ring us up. So, uh, Dr. Gibson, thank you. God bless you. Merry Christmas from all of us here at the Bottom Line Show. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Roger, and God bless and a very merry Christmas to you too. Powerful conversation, very informative and insightful as well. And thanks again to Dr. Jonathan Gibson for joining me today here on the Bottom Line. The book Isaiah: Good News for the Wayward and Wandering is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies to give away. And I noticed that whenever we have more than one copy of a resource to give away, we get more calls. I, maybe everyone thinks, oh, I got a better chance of winning. I heartily recommend you get a copy of this book and either give it to your pastor or maybe give it to your adult children to use at home to show your grandchildren how the um, the Old Testament really, I mean, Isaiah really preached the gospel. So the book, Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Two copies to give away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, speaking of wayward and wandering, usually around this time of year, somebody shows up and says, hey, you know, Jesus was an immigrant. Uh, you remember we got the story of he was born and then they had to, you know, they had to leave their homeland and flee and, you know, they're out for a couple of years and we should be treating immigrants much better than we do because Jesus was an immigrant. Well, I don't necessarily buy the Jesus was an immigrant argument per se, but how we do treat the sojourner and the traveler and the person who comes to our country uh, really does say a lot about our Christian faith. So why is it then that we have a Congress and we typically have presidents who get a couple parts of the immigration story right, but don't always get the rest of it correctly? Well, on the other side of this break, just going to look at the numbers of the current administration and give an example as to why things are as poor as they are, or should I say as porous as they are at the border. And then uh, what are some solutions? What are some biblical recommendations for this? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Bless your children with the help you've always wanted to give them. Newport Bay Mortgage works with your unique circumstances to explain the benefits of a reverse mortgage in today's market. Act now and provide for your family in need by gifting them a fraction of the fruits of your labor. With Newport Bay Mortgage, you can clarify the advantages of a reverse mortgage in your specific situation with professional insights on the current market. Sharing the rewards of a reverse mortgage is a valuable act of service that helps your loved ones establish valuable financial security for the future. Use the gift from your home to contribute towards God's work and plans by blessing your family in need with real financial help. Make up your mind today to make a difference in the lives of those who mean the most to you. Start by calling Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080. 714-741-8080. 
Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse or NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, we're taking your calls right now on our Thursday giveaway here. Dr. Jonathan Gibson's book, Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering. It's a great reminder here as we get ready for the Advent season of how the good news, the gospel, literally is preached by the prophet Isaiah. Not just the uh, born to us, a son is born, a child is given, but I mean the central message of all 66 chapters of Isaiah is the simple message that God saves sinners. And this is a great resource to have. We've got two of them that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, Isaiah, good news for the wayward and wandering is up at thebottomlineshow.com, by the way. Hey, you know, I, I mentioned before the break that oftentimes this time of year, uh, people will start looking at uh, part of the nativity story and they'll invariably, we fall into one of two camps. In Matthew chapter 2, we read about a part of the life of Jesus that I think is often misinterpreted or maybe misdirected, or maybe we try to point the language in such a way that if it goes one way, it proves our point, but if it goes another way, it proves somebody else's point. And I think it's worth uh, taking a look at here in terms of the way we as Christians take a look at the issue of border control. We have a president right now who seems to have rather porous borders and having survived a big, what could have been a huge midterm problem, uh, now seems to be doubling down on the fact that he seems to be so lackadaisical with regard to the open borders. And a lot of Christians will take that side and say, yeah, we should have open borders because you're supposed to take care of the sojourner and et cetera, et cetera. And, and they'll even use the story of Jesus. So I wanted to, before we get into the numbers here, I thought it would be appropriate since we're talking about the times around the birth of Jesus and, you know, with Christmas and Jonathan Gibson's book about Isaiah and the prophecy and how Isaiah really does preach the gospel as well as uh, talk about promoting prophecy. Let's take a look at these passages. I mean, in Matthew chapter 2, we see that the wise men are showing up. You know, when Jesus was born in, the, in Bethlehem and Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I'm using the New King James, by the way. And they said, who, where, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes together, uh, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, but in Bethlehem in the land of Judea are not the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of all of you, all of you should come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him also. And as I used to teach my children when they were very young, I said, He wanted to worship him with a knife. He wanted to kill Jesus. So Matthew 2, verse 9, When they, the wise men, heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. By the way... Can you imagine telling this story to young people who are so addicted to GPS that they really honestly don't know how to follow directions and say, they just looked at the map, followed the stars, and they wandered after this one star until they find the ch found the child. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came to the home, they found the young child with his mother Mary and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasuries, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, because he would kill them, they departed for their own country another way. Now we get to Matthew 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he, Joseph, took the young child and his mother Mary by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, what's interesting about this story is there are so many people on the more left-leaning side of the Christian equation that will use that account from Matthew chapter 2 as the reason why America should have open borders. I know that seems like a bit of a stretch, but they'll use that as the reason why America should have open borders. There are other parts of Scripture that says, welcome the visitor, the guest, the sojourner. And they'll say, see, put those two together, and we shouldn't have an immigration issue. But you have to understand what Scripture is talking about like this. First and foremost, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary being forced to flee to Egypt does not necessarily make them immigrants. They're hiding there until they can return home. By definition, people who are immigrating into another country and seeking asylum in that country are seeking asylum against or away from the government from which they're fleeing. There are many people who immigrate into the United States legally. That's a statement of fact. You knew that. There are many people who come here illegally. Some people come here illegally and claim asylum because that's how they figure they're going to be able to stay. But in all honesty, many of those people are seeking asylum from the same countries that their countrymen have come and immigrated legally and not claimed asylum. They'll say, where's the list to get my green card and get on the, on the pathway to citizenship? So apparently... We have a border crisis yet again. And for us in the body of Christ, we have to ask the question, what exactly are we going to do about it? Or what exactly is anyone going to do about it? Because in all honesty, it does not appear that anybody wants to do anything about it. DeRoy Murdoch is a columnist. I think they publish him in Fox and other places. He shows up at... Uh, uh, he's a Fox News contributor, but this po uh, column is from the New York Post. Uh, well, I want to take a look at what DeRoy has to say about the immigration issue, because the numbers he has here are pretty, well, they're pretty stirring. And for anyone who is saying, okay, I'm a Christian and I want a solution to the immigration crisis, that would be me and you and a lot of other people. We have to look at the role that both parties play in this. Overarching general observation Democrats like to have illegal voters come in here because they want them to vote. They'll give them whatever they want, apply them with money, basically all the rights and benefits of citizenship, but still tell them you can't be citizens, DACA, and, but then vote for me. We'll give you the right to vote, drive a car, et cetera, et cetera. Republicans, on the other hand, say, no, we don't want that. We want tighter borders, et cetera, et cetera. But if for some reason you get in here and you want to come to work for me, and I pay you under the table and you don't have to pay taxes and you can send the money home to wherever you're from, well, we're not going to complain. So both parties are culpable here. 
Right now, Democrats are under the microscope because Joe Biden's in the White House. Here's to Roy Murdoch's opening line from his article in the New York Post. Quote, Democrats are napping peacefully through the U.S.-Mexico quote-unquote border crisis that they engineered. Perhaps the data will snap them from their slumber. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security reports that Mexican cartels' income from smuggling illegal immigrants into America has soared. In 2018, it was $500 million. Today, it's, are you ready for this? $13 billion. That's an increase of 2,500%. If these criminals merged into a corporation, their 2022 gross revenues would rival that of Fox Corporation, Fox News Channel's parent corporation, that earned $12.91 billion in the last fiscal year and $13.97 billion the year before. Let that sink in for just a moment, brothers and sisters. Many of our bottom line solicitors are very faithful to the Fox News Channel. In all honesty, even though they've moved a little more center over the past couple of years, I still think they do the best job of mixing reporting with analysis or opinion. News Corp, or excuse me, Fox Corporation, the entire corporation made as much money in gross revenues as Mexican drug cartels did smuggling people. Now, ask yourself the question, why has the left become so lazy with regard to human trafficking? (laughs) DeRoy Murdoch continues, if Democrats are still dozing through the havoc of their own no-border strategy, these figures might also arouse them. Border Patrol agents apprehended nearly a million illegal immigrants during Donald Trump's final 19 months in office, 951,000. In Joe Biden's first 19 months, Border Patrol agents have encountered a staggering 3.6 million illegals. The number of people coming across the border illegally is up 377%. Fiscal year 2020 was the last year Donald Trump was under was responsible for the budget. That's from October 2020 to uh, September 2021. During that time, 69,000 illegal migrants were detected on the border but gotten into America's interior. In fiscal year 2021, which is four years of Trump and eight uh, four months of Trump and eight of Biden, there were nearly 400,000 gotaways. That's up 464 percent. In fiscal year 2022, the Godaways hit 600,000. At least 266,000 unaccompanied migrant children have been encountered at the southern border since the president took office. Think of that. That's enough to fill the Rose Bowl three times. And the list goes on. So what can be done about this problem and how should we in the body of Christ respond to it? We'll take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Over the weekend, I did a little math and I want to thank you as a bottom line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at Preborn save babies' lives. Now, when we started this campaign back in the first part of October, our goal was to save 400 children by Christmas Day. And you have stepped up in a huge way. But I didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in. An ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years. It provides 
250 ultrasounds per year, which means it's going to save about 2,500 babies' lives over the course of that 10-year period. Ultrasound machine costs $15,000. So far, because of your generosity, you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids. We're about 171 away from that stated goal, and I know we can do it. Can you give a $280 donation right now to save 10 more babies' lives? 833-850-BABY is the number to call, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. Go to thebottomlineshow.com, go to rogermarsh.com, click on the preborn banner. It takes about 30 seconds to save the life of a baby. Go to preborn and save babies' lives today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I'm still taking your calls for the remainder of the hour. I have two copies of Dr. Jonathan Gibson's book to give away. Isaiah, Good News for the Wayward and Wandering, perfect book for the Advent season. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, think about this. We were talking about the, the wayward and wandering in Isaiah, and of course the fact that in Matthew 2, after the birth of Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph, well, Joseph had a dream and said, hey, get, get thee to Egypt uh, so you don't wind up getting killed by Herod, and then you can hang out there until he's gone. Talking about this whole Jesus was a migrant uh, mentality that a lot of Christians have. These numbers from the New York Post will put up at thebottomlineshow.com about how illegal immigration has skyrocketed under the first 19 months of the Biden administration. Um, it's interesting because the number of uh, criminal immigrants that have been apprehended um, it has gone up every, only because senators are starting to write letters and ask questions. Um, by the way, the number of criminal immigrants that have been apprehended in fiscal year 2022 at the border is around 9,000. 53 of them wanted for murder, 283 for sex crimes, 900 for assault, battery, and domestic violence. By the way, um, if you think it's bad now, here's how bad it was during Donald Trump's administration. Okay. Um, in fiscal year 2017, there were a total of, are you ready for this? We've already apprehended 9,000 of them this year in Donald Trump's four years in office. There were two the first year, six the second year, none the third year, and three the fourth year. There were 11 total. Do you know why there were only 11 terrorists captured at the border? Because the border patrols were much tighter and the terrorists weren't trying to get through. This is not to say that the Trump administration couldn't get anything done. I mean, think about this. The Godaway number is huge. The fact that there were 11 of these apprehended during the entire four years of the Trump presidency and 15 handled in fiscal year 2021 under Biden and 78 more in fiscal year 2022 those are the ones they caught how many more got away fentanyl is coming in i mean the numbers are just they're they're staggering but here's where we in the body of christ have to do a better job of messaging as it were too often people will say well we have two choices choice number one is firm up the border lock it up keep people out choice number two is let everybody in and welcome the sojourner there's a third option and the third option says be a nation of rules and laws, but be a nation of compassion. 
Why are so many people trying to come in illegally when illegal immigration is already pretty well set in stone? What messaging is going out to tell people that they can only come in illegally? Why don't we start by stopping the bad messaging? Why don't we stop pushing all the propaganda that says, you know, uh, we, we should let everybody in because that's what Jesus would do? I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus is for law and order and justice. I don't believe he'd put on a MAGA hat and start riding the border on a horse and trying to keep people out. But I do believe that you can be compassionate and a nation of laws at the same time. What do you think? Drop me a line at thebottomlineshow.com. I'd love to get your take on this. 800-227-5278. Last call for Jonathan Gibson's book on Isaiah. And the link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider awaits you in discovering the Jewish Jesus. Uh, that We'll talk to you again tomorrow. For those who remain on the network, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is next as The Bottom Line continues.